Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today is Ruben Harris, CEO and co-founder of Career Karma, which gives you the information, tools, and support you need to quickly get into a tech career. And Career Karma was fun funded through Y Combinator and has raised over $50 million to date. Good stuff, man. Ruben began his tech career working in partnerships and sales after writing a viral blog post called Breaking Into Startups about how he moved to San Francisco without a job and landed a position three weeks later. And after receiving thousands of emails asking how to break into tech, Ruben co-founded the Breaking Into Startups podcast to demystify the process. And prior to working in tech, Ruben worked as an investment banker focused on food, consumer, and retail companies in Chicago and Atlanta. And Ruben has had more than his fair share of careers and interests. We were talking about it before. Noting almost 30 years of playing the cello among one of his oldest passions. Good stuff, man. And there's just a ton of experience to get into. So let's get right to it. Ruben, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me on the show. I love the name of the show, the podcast. Amazing. Thank, thanks, man. Yeah, Paz was my has been my nickname growing up forever. And when it was time to launch, it was just I, I, I honestly, dude, I didn't even think of one other name for the show just came uh, naturally. But thrilled to have you here. You have a fantastic story, but I really want to get back, uh, hit the rewind button. And I want to talk a little bit about your early life and, and growing up in Atlanta. And how did you even get into finance, man? Was it something as a kid? Were you good with numbers? Were you thinking about money and, and all that kind of stuff? But where did the where did that initial that initial spark come from early in your career? Finance. Um, I did grow up in Atlanta. What's cool about being in Atlanta is not only that you're surrounded by people that look like you, you but you're surrounded by affluent people that look like you. So it's a lot of black wealth, not just in entertainment, but in finance and law and all kinds of things like that, real estate. Um, and so I actually have a cousin. He's not from Atlanta. His name is Donald Robinson. Uh, he was working for Bank of America. Um, and he's a spiritual advisor to me as well. And so he's he's the one who planted the bug in my ear and was like, hey, you should you might want to consider being an investment banker one day. And so that's that's how the, the bug was planted. Let's talk about that for a moment and, and just kind of unpack that. How important it is to have folks that, let's call it what it is, folks that look like you in affluent positions to aspire to. Because it's hard. I mean, listen, I, I can't even I can't even think about this shit. I'm a freaking white middle class Jewish guy from Long Island. Like, I didn't even have to think about that shit. I just got to look. I just got to look down the street. Right. But <laughs> but as a but as 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 a, as a young black dude growing up in Atlanta, I mean, that's the reality of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, the the importance of having people look like you is one thing. But something that I didn't mention is 
even though I grew up in an area with people that look like me that are affluent, um, I don't, I don't, I didn't know anybody that was an investment banker. I didn't know what that was. And my cousin also was not an investment banker. He just made the comment. I think the the only time that I heard the term investment banker was when I was watching Smart Guy with Tia yeah. and Tamara. I don't remember if you remember that show. He was like the <laughs> smart black kid, and he meant they were like, "Oh, you're like smart as an investment banker." And I was like, "What's an investment banker?" So that sounds smart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's good stuff. So when 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 you ventured into that that world what were some of the obstacles that you faced yeah so that's when i first started understanding barriers beyond race so there's um no first of all to get into investment banking um it's very similar like trying to get into medicine you're usually like thinking about it from young you have to go to the right schools you have to get the right internships you have to have the right extracurriculars um there's this concept of target schools and Mm non-target schools. There's bulge bracket banks, there's boutique banks. But the simple way to think about it is the banks recruit from certain schools and they also um, hire you at certain times. So you're usually getting your internship during your junior year. And then you, if you do well, then you get an offer for your uh for the next year after you graduate they're grooming you they're grooming you yeah they're grooming you um and there's sometimes a chance that you could actually like do something during your senior year but like if you're getting internship during your senior year you're kind of like out because by the time you graduate let's say you graduate you know you want to be ready for that that next summer to start full-time um and when i graduated i didn't go to a target school and I didn't have any internships. And the other barrier is you have to have a certain GPA. And and usually the GPA is like 3.8 and above. And I had none of those things. So those were all the barriers I faced. And so how'd you break through them, man? That's a good question. Um, there was a blog that I discovered called Mergers and Inquisitions that demystified this opaque world of investment banking. Um, and and it explained how to interview at these places, um, where to get the skills. Because another barrier that you face is these skills are only taught in certain schools. Right. right. So like how to do financial modeling isn't rocket science, but it's only taught in certain places. And so what was cool about the mergers and acquisitions blog um, is that he actually launched a course called Breaking into Wall Street. And I was one of the first users of that course while it was still in beta mode i signed up did all the financial modeling courses the 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 powerpoint presentations and so on and so forth and taught myself financial modeling and once i understood what it was required to break into investment banking what you just said um i actually made the decision that even though i i graduated in 2010 i'm going to break into the class of 2011 and um there's a longer story about how I did that. Yeah, and, and and you had a plan there, and you've unpacked that on a few other podcasts. So I want I want to talk about some things that maybe you don't talk about as much, and we'll get into the career, your own career transition in a moment, and what inspired that. But tell me a little bit about your extracurricular involvement back in college. I read that you organized like tons of events for people like Tyrese, Kim Kardashian, and Jay Z. Man, tell us, tell us what, tell us like a story you can tell us, but in the context of how 
how one of those crazy ass stories kind of set you up for success where you are now. Like, like hit that rewind button in your head and be like, shit, you know what? I am so glad that that happened because now, you know, now I, I don't, I won't make that same mistake. I mean, it's a good question though. And I wouldn't even call it a mistake, you know, or learning, the, right? The party promote, yeah, learning. Yeah, I mean, I would say the the party promotion days actually set me up for everything that I do today. When it comes to getting a job, you know, raising money, closing customers. Um, this was when MySpace was the big dog before right. Facebook was the big dog, and um, I was nineteen years old, I believe, when I first started throwing parties in Atlanta. Um, I met a guy from VIP Nightlife that his name is um, Alan Chu, um, and he was working with um, with um, Chewy is what we called him. He was working with a guy named Alex Gitawan who owned all the clubs in Atlanta. There was a new club called Studio Seventy Two um, that was being run by a guy named Solo with Jermaine Dupri and, and V One Hundred Three. So I learned a lot about radio. Um, street promotions with flyers, like literally like similar, like passing out mixtapes and putting it on, on windows, um, street teams, um, affiliate marketing, which I'll talk about in a second. And then also um, social media. So we had a whole team of people that together had about a hundred thousand um, friends on MySpace, And we also would take over the homepage of MySpace to really promote, and long story short, um, we also had a photographer that would come to all of the parties and they would take really professional pictures. This, his name's Prince from ATL Pics and he would automatically have it posted the next day. And everybody mm. would want to come to the parties because they would have a professional pic to put as their profile picture right. on MySpace. That's a good drama. Um, and in the beginning, I didn't have control of the door. So I wasn't getting like percentages of the door. My job was to get people on a list, send them to the party. And they had to say that they came from my promotions like and I would get paid per head. Right. Yeah. So that's when I started learning about that type of that type of thing. But then we started discovering different mar uh, email marketing tools and how to like promote events. That's when Facebook events yep. started coming out and we started really like learning how to get people to show up. And so those were the early days of understanding how to build street teams, leveraging graphics, affiliate marketing and, and social media to get people to show up to places. Yeah, man. I mean, those are those are the foundational building blocks in the career. And those those also what they do is and, and I don't want to speak for you, but those get your wheels moving in a in a thought process perspective. How do I solve problems? How do I promote? How do I get people to take an action? What are those cues, those social cues? Um, well, one, right? one other thing I want to add here too, I think yeah. it's important too, is um, Atlanta is very unique. Like nightlife is a very big deal, similar to like Miami where I'm at now, but Atlanta is very unique where at every event that you have, there's going to be a celebrity every single time. Really? Like I've, I had, you know, Kim Kardashian while she was still dating Reggie Bush, like you mentioned, um, you before know, the tape, before, the, <laughs> before all, all, all that, like there's, 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 um, uh, Mariah Carey, there's Usher, Chingy, all, all these different, uh, Drake before he was big, Neo, like all, all these different people. Um, the reason why I bring that up is because they would use celebrities as the draw. Um, and, we would have like a thousand, two thousand people there. So I say that because when I moved to Silicon Valley, I was thinking about events and how do I use that concept as the draw 
and I would identify all the people that you might read about in Silicon Valley or the VCs that you want to raise money from or the operators that you want to be affiliated with, and I would organize events with them. So I would say, you know, hey, you want to come to this whitewater rafting trip? I got cool people like, I don't know, somebody from YC or somebody from this VC um, want to join us. And it's people that I never met and they will want to show up because they're there. That's the roots of that's the roots of networking. So let's let's get back into into the blog that that changed it all for you. Breaking into startups, which you mentioned, inspired by breaking into Wall Street. And I want to break down a couple of points in there that kind of hit home for me. Um, one, th- this one was pretty cool. Network to build a personal board of directors and open doors. Personal board of directors. This is something I I've heard and I've implemented in my own life before I even started doing my research on you. And this is critical. To folks, a personal board of directors. I'd love to hear your take and unpack that line for a moment. Yeah, I mean, I think a board of directors in general is a loaded concept where, you know, when you're thinking about it from a company perspective, people will say, oh, the board is the CEO's boss. Um, that That's one way to think about it. Um, another way to think about it is it's a way to manage your team. And like, just know, let them know that there's a quarterly meeting that's happening and there's goals that need to be met and, you know, you need to show up for the board meeting or not. Um, there's a way that they're like, they're people that work for you that you would never be able to hire. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also just like really good people to learn from. So like, when I think about it from a personal perspective, it's those last two where it's people that I would never be able to like hire or be like include in my family because we're not blood but there are people that care about me on a deeper level than a mentor or a coach and they want to help me see my vision realize and help me develop myself in areas that i may not naturally be competent in I love and that, so man. when i when i think about how to recruit people to be in that personal board of directors it's important for me to imagine who I want to be in the future, where I'm not competent, and who has those skill sets, but also care about me on a deeper level than just a mentor or even a sponsor. And that's a real that's a really big difference. It's 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 beyond the the reach of a of a mentor. And 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 I think about those people in my life too who are in blood, those people who are in a position in life through success, through business, who I aspire to be, and I know that I could learn from them at a much deeper level than just your traditional mentorship. So it's really taking it to the next one. This is a good one too. Quote, doing the unrealistic can be easier than the realistic because there's less competition for the bigger goals. Let uh-huh. that sink in there, everyone listening for a moment there. That's a, that's a big one. Kind of that's counterintuitive, but break it down, man. Yeah, that's one that's one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite. Um, uh, that's one of my favorite uh, concepts. It's similar to it, it came actually after I finished reading a book called Zero to One, where it talks about monopolies and competition and technology and you know a lot of times people talk about when they think about tech they think about disruption and when you think about disruption you're normally thinking about attacking someone head on head to head but i I actually think the best way to like really compete is by not competing and like tackling a really hard challenge in a space that has a lot of competition but where nobody's really addressing because it's so hard to do. And then you become the only one that owns that space. And 
or, the, or that niche within the market, and then you're able to take over the rest of the market. And so um, a really good example is like Elon Musk with SpaceX, right? Like if how many people are actually trying to create reusable, reusable rockets and slash space costs by 90%? Yeah, like probably count almost, on one hand. Probably, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like less than one hand, right? Yeah, and then sure. even if you even if you can count it on one or two hands, like the barriers to entry are crazy, right? Like it's is it it's not just financial cost, but just actually you literally have to have rocket scientists on staff, right? There's like right. there's so many things that that go into it. So there's an advantage going for swing thinking big and swinging big because there's less competitions for the bigger goals if you go after the, the unrealistic or what the society deems as unrealistic that's that's a mindset shift that's that's a real it mindset is. shift it's i mean i i think about that that a bit in my business too and also there's another little bit of an element to it like separate but related is when, when you're not thinking about the competition you're putting that energy that you normally would back into your business and your own personal growth. And speaking of personal growth, the last point I want to bring up from, from the blog is, quote, build a support system to help manage your psychology. Yeah. You know, in this day and age of talking about self-care and, and, and looking out for the, you know, your, yourself, how, how does that translate now, a couple of years later? Yeah. You, you said something right at the end about, about just now about the, about the competition piece. What's the last thing that you said right before that? Yeah, I don't think about competition because it takes away the. Oh yeah, yeah, my yeah, yeah. Thank. You. I'm glad that you brought it up really fast like that. Um, just one more thing there. I like that point because most startups don't die from homicide; they die from suicide, right? So if you focus on what everybody else is going to do, like that's like a huge distraction. You have a much bigger advantage by focusing on on what you're doing. But okay, going back to the piece about psychology. Um, yeah, I got that piece about psychology from a book called um, The Hard Thing About Hard Things from Ben Horowitz, where he said, like, that's the biggest thing that you're going to have to manage. And it's not just from a CEO perspective. Like, when people think about even career navigation and what we do at Career Karma, career navigation is not about the best education. Career navigation is about psychology and overcoming your mental blocks and your limiting beliefs and actually doing and trying things and not being afraid of quote unquote looking dumb or, or looking stupid, right? So um, things that I've done to um, prepare myself psychologically is read a lot of books, uh, surround myself by a support system that actually um, can hold up a mirror to me and show me I like that. what like what's actually happening. Because a lot of times when you're doing something that is uncomfortable or that you might think is wrong, it's easy to focus on what you the mistake that you made and like dismiss all of the progress that you made. So that's like really, really important stuff to to understand. I think that um I think that um it's also important to zoom out sometimes and not only do work. So you you know you talked about the cello. Um which I don't always get to do as often as I want to when I'm traveling. Uh, but, you know, just exercising in general, running outside, doing martial arts, flying a drone, like I was just doing that with my girl this weekend, like literally zooming out sometimes to see, like, the forest and not getting lost in the trees, you know. 
I mean, you're living in, so. in, in, in outdoor fitness central there, man. I mean, you got, I mean, I feel like if I was in Miami, I'm like, if I don't stay in shape in Miami, you're done, man. You got, you got to uh -huh. stay, you, you got to stay, stay in shape in Miami. Hey, everybody. First, I'd like to thank you all for spending time with me and my guest on the podcast. This show is my canvas to showcase amazing people from the world of recruiting, entrepreneurship, and leadership, and unpack their career journeys for everyone to learn from. But this show is also a business generator for me, as well as creating thought leadership and endless amazing content. And I've taken what I've learned in the past three years and over 200 recorded and 100 live shows and distilled it down into a digital playbook that I call the Pause Course. Now you could learn how I build, manage, and produce the podcast and use it to drive real business development and relationships. Today, I'm sharing all of my secrets behind the podcast, and you can get it all at thepausecourse.com. This course is for anyone, whether you're starting out or an advanced podcaster using it for B2B, a B2C. It's filled with all of my insights, learnings, tips, tricks, and templates. So get it now at thepausecourse.com and learn all my secrets. Thanks. So let, let's get into the career karma story. And and you literally created, you know, a, a business, career karma in the roots of, of the blog, right? Like it's a, it's a, uh -huh. it, it, it came out of that. I'd love if you could share, you know, succinctly the the story of career karma and i mean this correct me if i'm wrong this isn't what you ever like fully intended and it came out of uh -huh. organic natural progression and need so how did it how did it come up yeah, yeah to the mean, origin think, story man yeah I, I think that um it's important to understand that career karma is a product that we wish that we had when we were breaking into tech. Similar to like how you asked me how I decided to become an investment banker, I needed somebody to tell me that that role existed. Right? And even once I knew that that role existed, it was important for me to know that it was possible to do it, even though all these barriers that were presented to me would pretty much say that it's impossible. I didn't go to the right school. I didn't have the right GPA. The odds were I not stacked have, in your favor, man. The no. odds were not stacked in my favor, but I had to have somebody tell me to do it anyway. Um, my co-founders, when we all met in Atlanta, they did not know that Y Combinator existed. They did not know about you know a lot of the things that we know now. And we discovered through the process of trying to learn um, that the fact that there are these short form courses, rapid reskilling programs like boot camps that don't measure their success on graduation, but actually getting you a job, and that they would train you in a specific skill set, and in this case, being software engineering, um, in a short amount of time without you actually having to put money up front or going into debt, which is really important uh, when you have, you know, this administration talking about student loan forgiveness and I'm. Confident the next administration will also be talking about it. Um, so, so long story short, uh, we actually, rather than starting a company in the beginning, we took an approach like what you're doing here with the podcast. Like we started a podcast called Breaking into Startups, which was named after Breaking into Wall Street, and um, it was it was based off of the blog that I wrote called Breaking into Startups and the reality of breaking into startups. The first product you build is yourself, where we would interview people that face similar challenges and decided to, to make a company around it um, for, for a specific reason that we'll talk about. Right, like the, the, the idea comes up, right? The idea comes up organically, like there has to be a better way to help people. There has to be a better way to empower them. There has to be a better way, as you said earlier, to help them put that mirror in front of them and help them figure out what they need and then give it to them, right? And then empower them. And, you know, 
career karma is birthed out of real people and real needs. So talk to us about those early days of, of developing the initial platform and the, the, the product and, and how close are you still now tied to that original vision? Um, so the early days of the platform was actually people showing up in a room. Um, and us listening to them for guidance. You and mean then, like real life? Like people hang out in real life anymore, right? Like Dude, real life, God. real life people coming to us asking for advice or showing up to events asking how to get a job. Um, and then us Imagine organizing that. them in a spreadsheet. Um, That's old school. That evolved, right? <laughs> old school, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm older than I look, you know. <laughs> and then, and then. Um, it's a good and problem. Then, um, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, same thing. Then, uh, I'm 73. <laughs> Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm I'm an OG in the game, you know. <laughs> so um then then we then we organize them into telegram groups. Um and then we actually use a no code tool called Bubble. Um and then we started hosting sessions on Zoom. Um and then we created our own platform that turned into uh we use live audio rooms instead of uh Zoom calls. And now we have a whole community with profiles and messaging and things built out and have almost 3 million people a month coming to us that aren't just trying to get into software engineering roles, but also into um, into non-technical roles like sales and, and marketing. So And then networking, I was, I was just, yeah, the halo effect of networking yeah. had to be incredible too. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think just so the people that are listening understand, like we, we help job training programs, find qualified applicants. We're focused on rapid reskilling programs that help people get jobs in, um, in a year or less. Well, we match them to the school. They pay us a fee to keep it free for people. So career comes completely free. And we reinvest that into these live audio room communities awesome. to make sure you connect to the peers, coaches, and mentors to stay supported and, and find a job informally. I feel like you've said that once before. I feel like you've yeah, said maybe. that pitch. Maybe, maybe I said a few times, yeah. But thank you for bringing that up there. And 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 what's great, and the reason I reached out to you um, to have you on the show initially is because your mission and goal ties to the original mission of this show that I really want to start to bring it back to whenever I can with guests like yourself about empowering and helping people then with their own career journey at the same time, talking about your own story, which which obviously you know flows with this. But I want to ask one question about Y Combinator for folks because people may not be aware. Um, Real high level, kind of, you know, I'd like to hear just about your experience, the good, the bad, the ugly uh, with career karma as candidly as you feel like sharing. Because I think a lot of folks out there, it's one of those shiny objects they see, right? When they see like A16Z and they see certain Y Combinator uh, back in the day when they would see someone working at a WeWork. Um, it's like, wait a minute, like, all right, let me tell you, let me tell you what it was like. You know, it was great for this. Maybe not so good if you're looking to do something like this. I think that's real important to share with folks. Yeah, I mean... First of all, I didn't know what Y Combinator was. So if people that are listening don't know what Y Combinator is, it's the world's largest tech accelerator. It's um, a $300 billion um, accelerator um, that essentially birthed, you know, Airbnb, Stripe, Dropbox, um, Instacart, Rippling, DoorDash. Yeah, to name a yeah, uh, drop few, it in there, right? man. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to do that. Um, and so essentially, it's a, net, it's, a, it's a network of about 2,000 uh, or more CEOs. Um, and it also has a group of mentors um, called partners, group partners, um, that essentially 
have started billion-dollar companies before that can tell you how to do it because they've done it themselves, right? So it's best to get advice from people that have done it before, right? Um, and so um, it's harder to get into Y Combinator than Stanford. So mm -hmm. first of all, anybody can apply. You go to ycombinator.com slash apply. Um, and essentially, um, if you get if you get um, if you pass the the application, they're going to give you an interview. Um, and it's a, like in my time, it was a ten minute interview, and yeah. then you're in. Yeah, there's 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 two there's two batches per year. Cohorts, uh, one right? in the summer. Yeah, cohorts. Classes. Yeah, or, one. In, they call we call it batches. So batches. there's there's one batch in the summer, one batch in the winter. Um, and they're, they last about three months. And what's cool about it is they use their brand to validate, especially first time founders. There's, you don't have to be a first time founder to be in YC. There's definitely people that have successfully launched multi-billion dollar companies that have gone to Y Combinator again. And also when you get in, by the way, they give you money as well. Um, in exchange for equity, right. um, and Fun. and access to this network, um, and then you're in there for three months, and then you you do something called demo day, where the world's biggest investors come and you present for two minutes. I presented for two minutes, and then quick raise pitches. millions of dollars. Yeah. So they're gauging you. Um, so, these, so you're pitching. It's like rapid fire, right? It's almost like Shark Tank. It's like you just go in and rapid fire, and you're telling the core in two minutes what you're building, why it's you know marketable, and yeah, you know, investment. It's, it's, it's like Shark Tank, except nobody's asking you questions. You're just essentially speaking to a room, and then you come off. And so then, there's no there's no Q and A. Got it. There's no Q and A. So you just present, um, and then people will follow up with you and you talk to them. Right. Um, could you choose what, could you choose if someone makes you an offer, do you have to accept it or could you negotiate? You don't it? have to accept it. Yeah. yeah it's, it's your choice. You know? It's just, they put you in an environment where people with money spend big, like write big checks. Like they nobody that comes yeah. any, anybody that you talk to in de demo day has to have check writing ability. So if, if you're at demo day, then you know that there's money there. If you're yeah. if you're you're not invited if you don't have money. Like that's and that's an, a very important so that the founders aren't wasting their time. And um that's a the very big deal. So that that's more of like the high level that everybody knows about Y Combinator. I think on the on the part uh, something that I really like about them is like they teach you the fundamentals of the game, which you know, I would say are things like doing things that don't scale that you can read publicly in Paul Graham's essay. Um, if you want to build a billion dollar company, you always want to be writing code and talking to users. They teach you which KPI to focus on, which almost always should be revenue. Um, they teach you that the main difference between startups and most companies is, is a growth. Um, and so you need to be growing revenue 10%, mm -hmm. 10 to 20% month over month. Um, and if it's not revenue, something needs to be growing, right? So a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, would you say that that really laid the foundation? I mean, no, grateful, no. Yeah. grateful, grateful for that experience. Um, so I want, I wanted a quick question um, on your on your uh, co-founders, uh, Timur and Arta, right? They're Ukrainian. Are they everything cool? Are they are they safe? Like, what's happening in their world, man? And how did that affect you and your relationship with them? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that question. Yeah, my co-founders are Ukrainian Jews. 
as well. I know you're part of the tribe, so I want to make sure I call that out as well. Um, and and um, and um, they they grew up in Queens. Uh, we had, it actually affected us pretty heavily. The, the war actually affected us pretty heavily because you know we just went to Ukraine right before, last right? year. Crazy, yeah. Like we were just there last year before yeah, it was all gorgeous, this stuff man. happened. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a beautiful place. I have I have all the Strava runs documented out there, so I was able to like really explore. Um, but everything that we experienced is probably going to take like ten years to recover, you know. Yeah. Um, and then we have a big team out there as well, and thank God all of them are safe, and our investors and people in the community rallied together to give their families uh, resources, um, and everybody is was able to to survive. Um, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but I will just say that I'm I'm grateful to have a VP of engineering that um, his name is Christian that's based in Poland, um, and he was able to work with our people team, Jessica and her people team, on a, a emergency response that we were preparing oh. that um, was executed. I would argue flawlessly. But there was definitely hiccups that came up, but I we mean, were flexible enough to, to yeah, make man. things happen. And 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 the fact that you guys just did that and stepped up is, is tremendous there. So switching gears for a second, and and I want to kind of kind of make a, a right hand turn here, and I want to talk about an article in Business Insider when you said uh, regarding corporations that do quote a lot of lip service when it comes to pushing diversity. And this came out just to note when this article came out, it came out before the tragic events of of George Floyd and the movement that he inspired. But what? Is it, or his 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 death inspired, but what is your thought of corporations since then? Was it is it still a lot of lip service? Is it still like all because I mean, listen, I host a show. I could give you my my impression. I think it was a lot of fucking BS and lip service that we heard about for three <laughs> or six months, and then we're like, are we still talking about DEI and B? Is it still a thing? Is it still like were you guys just saying that because you felt like you had to? I mean, that was kind of my take from my my perch over here. I love that you called this out. That's a perfect segue into what Curricon was focused on now that we announced the CSB. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we are starting to work with corporations. Um, it's interesting you say the George Floyd moment. There's one of the employers that I was talking to, and the lady asked me when we were founded. And I said 2018. And then she was like, okay, cool, before George Floyd. Because like, there's a lot of you know bandwagon people that uh -huh. join on wanting to serve people from underestimated backgrounds after that event. That's and even pod, after that's that a podcast event, for another day, man, that's a whole, it's a whole other conversation. It's a whole other thing that I don't even know if I want to touch the 10 foot pole, right? Like <laughs> yeah, I, know so lanes, I, know my, I know my lanes, man. <laughs> it's a dicey one. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I'll say is um, there are some employers that are doing it. There's some that aren't, I would say just to touch on this, um, we talked about over the last four years, we've been working with employers that, um, I mean, with 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 boot camps and and users, and most of the people that sign up to these job training programs are doing it through an income share agreement or deferred tuition. And the reason why I bring this up is because what that means is the school promises to get them a job if they get a job. The tuition comes out of their new salary, which indirectly is actually coming from the corporation. What's actually starting to happen is, you know, over like similar to healthcare benefits and four hundred one k benefits. Uh, education benefits have existed for a very long time. Uh, tuition reimbursement, employer-sponsored education, um, and things like that. And so a lot of employers are actually starting to pay for the education of their employees 
so they could have a debt-free education. And the reason why I bring this up in the context of what you said related to lip service is we're starting to work with employers who subscribe to the strategy of developing their own internal talent pipelines for open tech roles at scale. Um, and so they want to focus on uh, companies that have, we're, we're focused on companies that have a, a difficult time filling their entry-level tech roles. And the frontline workers tend to be these black and brown populations. And so by paying for the education for frontline workers so that they can be retained and eventually ladder up into corporate roles, you're actually able to really uh, make a lot of impact um, yeah. and also attract talent. Let's let let's let's kind of hit the rewind. I want to unpack a concept there, which is so fucking fascinating to me or when companies at a high level look internally first. For promotion, upskilling, and education. These are folks that already work within your organization. They're already into your infrastructure. They're already, I don't like to use the word loyal, but they're they're working there, man. Right. And if you empower them and you educate them, their their loyalty, their their retention, your employee retention rates are just gonna are gonna go through the roof. So talk to us. I wanna I wanna I wanna kinda wrap up this part of the segment here. Um what's what's on the roadmap forward for career karma? I know you guys are working on updating the website, building out some new tech behind it. Um, but from a from a growth perspective, from an innovation perspective, what do you got on the horizon, Ruben? Yeah, I mean, over the last six months, we've been listening to companies um, talking about the impact of low career mobility on workplace productivity. So there was a lot of common patterns. So on the, on the frontline workforce, like I said, there's a lot of low engagement in morale due to lack of clear sight lines into career mobility. On the talent acquisition side, we talked about turnover, um, but there's also um, no something that we talked about in career coming in the beginning is that um, the tech industry is no longer a tech industry anymore, and so corporations are actually investing in technology heavily, Absolutely. but they're also competing with tech companies. And so by focusing internally to develop their own tech talent that actually decreases their costs versus trying to compete for like the highest salary for external things. So that's it's a, a no brainer. It's like a no brainer, yeah. man. It's economically sound. Exactly. On the L and D side, you know, they're paying for all the education benefits, but there's a lot of outcomes that are unclear. It's hard to measure in real time to know what's going on. And then even from a curriculum perspective, um, it's hard for them to keep up because the skills demands are changing all the time, especially with college because two to four years is too long. So long story short, we are actually creating a platform where we're helping with um, or helping employers deliver the education benefits, have control and visibility into what's going on, uh, create these talent pipelines. And um, we will be announcing which employers that we're working with in the beginning uh, very soon. I love it. That's great stuff. And, and, and lastly, on this one, what, what have you learned about your what have you learned about yourself? through growing career karma in the last four years? The importance of communication. You know, I've always, I've always um, felt like I was a good communicator, um, but I feel like communication is one, like, you know how, how in the beginning you talked about psychology? Like, that's one of the things that I was first first focused on. One of the, the main things I'm trying to really understand is how to be a better communicator, not just on podcasts like this, but, you know, running a remote company, 
there's synchronous and asynchronous communication. There's yep. written communication. There's audio communication. There's video communication. There's GIF communication. There's emoji communication. Yeah. You know, how do you express feelings? Um, how do you make decisions? You know, all that type of stuff. And so I, I would just say the biggest thing that I'm learning about myself is I don't know, like the half of communication. I have a lot more to learn. That's humble. You don't know what you don't know. And that's been a big one for me over the last couple of years. I don't know what I don't know and being open to, to learning and, and feedback. Ruben, let's bring it home here. What is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on every day? Dang, that's a good question. Single greatest piece of advice that I've ever received. Like a mantra. You wake up every morning, you stretch and getting out of bed and you say this to yourself, something that you live by. Motto, creed. I have so many of these that I think about. I mean, something that I recently posted was um, was your race, your pace. But I wouldn't say that's like the, the deepest one. What I like about it is um, you need to find your rhythm. And it's not it's similar to like what you said about competition. And you have to create a process like trust the process is something we talk about a lot like like so we talk about you know says so, so on monday starts on sunday trust the process like train insane and remain the same yep. uh, all these things but if you think about trusting like your race your pace the reason why that's important is because revenue when we talk about what combinator and kpis that's a lagging indicator so in order to like actually control revenue, you actually like need to focus on your leading indicators. It's very similar to sales. Like if you want to close a certain number of revenue, you actually just like need to have a certain number of meetings in order volume. to to get the volume, right? Because a certain percentage of them are just going to hit. And so if you are focused on your race, if you're focused on your pace and you make a plan, like things will hit Love it. in the right time. And if things don't hit when you want them to hit, and you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing, there's a reason for it. And you have to look for the reason for it and find the lesson for it. And then make sure that you continue to ask, seek, and knock, and the right door will be open up to you. Boom. Yeah, I like it. My kind of take on that one that I say every day is plan your work and work your plan. And I kind of keep focused and, and do my thing there. And Ruben, last but not least, um, you know, you look back on your life and you think about, listen, the hard times, the tough times, you break it into, into finance, the barriers that you had to break through um, throughout your career, building this company. And those those moments we had to dig down deep inside and harness that inner tenacity that every real good founder has. Because that's, that's the trait we all have in common, man. We have this drive, we have this fire. And on the opposite side of that, when you want to show gratitude for this life that you built, for everything in your life that you're thankful for, Ruben Harris, what is your compass in life? What is your North Star? So I, I grew up in the church um, and like not to be morbid, but I should be dead right now. Like, and the only reason I'm alive is because of God, like protected me. And while I'm here, like I changed my mindset from just being ungrateful from being here to being chosen. And my, my goal is to not just help people get a job with money, um, but to figure out their purpose and essentially get closer to, um, what God made them and put them on the like put them on this earth to, to do. So that's 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 my that's what my North Star is. And that is that is powerful. Ruben, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Hang out with hang out with me for one moment here as we sign off. I want everyone listen back to this one. 
so much gold. And Ruben's journey is is incredible. And I love what he built with Career Karma. And you can check out more at careerkarma.com. Where else could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? Yeah, it's Ruben at careerkarma.com, uh, Twitter.com um, sl- slash Ruben Harris, Instagram, Ruben Harris. Um, but let Career Karma on everything except Twitter. Twitter is Career, karma, career underscore karma. Um, one day I'll buy that out and we'll go from there. So. Ruben, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you. And everyone listening, remember, sharing means caring. If you like this show, leave a review or rating. Share it. goes a long way. Remember, follow us on the social media channels at thepodcast.com for all things, all shows, all kind of good stuff. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of The Podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>